Good afternoon. Like many of you out there on the internet, uh, CJ and I uh, both at one point in our lives, you know, maybe we're ashamed to admit this, we were libertarians. We were libertarians who uh, subscribed to the non-aggression principle and, and all of those things. And then something happened. Uh, then something happened. We became not libertarians anymore and, and not like together, right? One day we just woke up and I there was something him. in there was something in the air. Yeah, I messaged him it. and I'm like, "Hey, man, I don't think I'm a libertarian anymore." And he's like, "That's okay, I'm not either." Uh, uh, no, <laughs> well, the, the funniest part, the funniest part is we and a couple others, a couple other mutuals, some of whom are still around. We like, we were in control of a Christian libertarian Facebook group. We were, yes. you know, we were, and then the we moderate. all like. We all we all just realize that we're not and that libertarianism is actually really cringe. Like even Extreme. if you were still like, you know, adhering to like the propositions or whatever, but you just we all at the same time were like, this is actually really dumb. So we were running this group and we basically just killed it. We like it's like we that meme all at the same time. <laughs> the meme the guy like turns around and shoots. Like we were just shooting the group, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and like everyone's like, What's going on? Like the uh the manager, the admins are going the rogue. Yeah. Yeah, they're going completely rogue on us. And we were just dunking. And then, and then that lasted like a month. And then we basically right. got, had a coup, experienced a coup and we were kicked out, but it was fun. We went out, and, <laughs> we went out, we went out with a bang. Yeah. Blaze of glory. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, um, for me, I think, uh, I got into libertarianism in 2008 with the Ron Paul, uh, campaign, uh, you know, like this comment here from Tim Miller, Ron Paul, maybe right wing. Thank you, uh, Dr. Paul. Uh, yes. I mean, that, that is, you know, 2008 and then especially 2012, you know, his presidential campaigns. That's, that's when, you know, both, I, I think I can speak for you they, around the same time for you too. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was new and exciting. It was a, it was a, a way of viewing politics and government and society and all of these things in a way that challenged my basic presuppositions that I'd always had. I grew up riding with my dad in the truck, listening to Rush Limbaugh. I always found politics interesting, but it was just your, your basic uh, normie con views that I had and everything. And then Ron Paul comes and starts challenging these things and saying like, Oh, well maybe the Iraq war was a mistake, right? Maybe that was bad. And at first I thought like he's this big, horrible, you know, liberal and I didn't like him because how could, how dare he speak ill of George W. Bush? And then I started listening to him <laughs> and arguing with, with people and I was persuaded, right? Oh, actually this was a mistake. This was really bad. And, and delve deeper into the political philosophy that, that uh, drove him. You know, I started listening to like Tom Woods, uh, for example, his, you know, the, the content that he was starting to put out. And yeah, I was, I was off into the deep end of uh, libertarian theory and it, it was great. I started you know, reading Rothbard and, and Mises reading human action and I loved it. I thought these guys are brilliant. These are, they're, they're super sharp. And and like, how, what was your, what was your journey, your gateway into it, uh, CJ? Yeah, it's similar. You know, what, what I understood, um, 2012, uh, 11, 12, same as you, uh, was that the Republican party, cause I was really into the constitution, right. And like yeah. maintaining the original principles and all that stuff at the founding. And I realized that, um, the GOP was basically just a scam and yeah. they didn't adhere to any of that. And the actual constitutional position on things like, Iraq and central banking were actually um, Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul had was like a constitutional um, originalist, which is hilarious because people like Michael O'Fallon and others like that, they're like the constitution. Uh, they would never endorse someone like Ron Paul. No, too uh, radical. More, yeah, he's way more, he's like a, a, a constitutional purist. That's ironic yeah. and that's, that's funny. But anyways, it was like all the things that we learned in school about um, the right to life, liberty, and property, libertarianism seemed to call out the establishment for failing to uphold those things yeah. and it alone could fulfill um those 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 claims the things that we were taught were fundamental to america turned out mm -hmm. to be um fulfilled in libertarianism and that's kind of what attracted me at first and then and then you get deeper into it and you realize that it's actually like a purification of those liberal ideals mm -hmm. 
um, and it's like takes everything down to their logical conclusion. So libertarianism uh, is very logical, like like the actual like if you actually look at the, the the dogmas of the doctrine itself, they're very it's very rational, very logical, very consistent. It applies its principles absolutely into every asset or uh, aspect of social life. So there's no exceptions. That's kind of what libertarianism is. It's the claims of liberalism taken to their logical conclusion. And I was really into that. I thought that you could actually have a political theory built on rationalism. Um, and so, I mean, we're going to talk about the un, you know, the undoing of libertarianism, but that's one of the, the main features of my disillusionment with it is the fact that politics is messy. Politics requires you to make judgments that are not uh, purist. And it requires you to make um, decisions between, um, you know, uh, uh, like the way that politics works is uh, is it requires you to choose between alternatives. You can't mm -hmm. just blueprint this ideal society. Um, that's actually um, a catalyst for a revolution and tearing down the things yeah. that you love. So, yeah, it, it's it's fundamentally utopian, and that that's one of the things. Uh, and, and of course, you know, libertarians would like shriek if you say that their their society is utopian, uh, but but ultimately it is, right? It, it's it's this uh, idealistic vision for for human society that is bound by these principles that are unflinching, and that's not the way the world actually is, right? You have to deal with the the reality of the world, and you can't have pristine, you know, stainless steel principles that, that never bend or buckle, uh, because you're, you're confronted with, with um, yeah. all sorts of yeah. circumstances that, that are not ideal, right? You, when you have to pick trade-offs, right? Mm -hmm. This situation is better than this one, but it's not great, right? That's, that's what you're constantly confronted with, with all of life. And, and it, it doesn't, it, you can't function that way in, mm -hmm. in, in any you know, conceivable sense. And it's, and it's always looking for, all right, one day when we have the free society, then we'll, then this is the way it'll be. We'll have the non-aggression principle and we'll apply it this way. And, and a lot of it too. I mean, I think I began to think about uh, politics and just the, the social structure and, and how societies are formed and how they operate. And you uh, and along these lines of of the difference between you know an ideal world and a practical one, and I I I you know just began to think like okay well uh, it was it was ironic like you would have these uh, people the people that would like argue against libertarianism in in and not like in good faith they'd be like well there's no or or especially like anarcho capitalism they'd be like well there's no government in Somalia why. Uh, why don't you have your perfect libertarian society there in Somalia? And I would hear that argument. And of course, like the rebuttal to that was, well, culturally, it's not, not suitable for, for this, right? That would be like, I, I think I remember like Tom Woods making that argument. And I stepped back for a second. I thought, wait a second, why, right? Why, why, why is it only suitable for like Western countries, right? Uh, why, why, why doesn't it work? They, they don't have a government. Why don't they just have a spontaneously well-ordered society? And it's like, well, those things don't happen uh, spontaneously, right? You don't spontaneously generate a well-ordered society. There, there are people, right? People are what make up a society, and and it takes centuries or millennia to build up the kind of society where you can have, you know, the America of 1776, right? That yeah. did that did just spring up spontaneously. Like they just all woke up one day and said, like, why don't we just have a constitution? And, yeah. and a bill of rights wouldn't that be great this see, uh, this is not, it's not the way it works this is where so much of my own thinking comes in because i began to realize the importance of historical development in the shaping of society and that as individuals um you know there's this concept in political theory the state of nature right and so yeah. we have to conceive of man in the state of nature in order to determine what his rights are what where what where just relations can be identified and you begin to realize that there is no man who is ever born um, independent of social structures, that man is yeah. the product of um, pre-existing arrangements. And yeah. so I began to basically come into Paul Gottfried's interpretation, which is very historicist, and realize that um, our rights are socially situated and they come from historical uh, tensions. And they come from the, the competing clashes of, of groups 
And that's where rights come from. And that our rights were earned over a thousand years. They didn't, we didn't start free and then slowly find ourselves in totalitarian situations like Rousseau postulated. Rather, it's the opposite. There was chaos and then order was applied. And then over time, order had to work itself out to give us over historical development, the rights that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that historicism is really drives, it really drove my way out of the libertarian universalist abstract, uh, you know, type of thinking. Yeah, that, that, that too. I mean, I think, I think some of it, uh, you know, at the, let's see in when, when did I, you know, officially make my break from the libertarian? It's, it's, it's always kind of murky, you know, it's like, well first you don't like it first yeah first you're first you're ashamed of it right and then you convince yourself to to actually leave it yeah yeah i'm just not it anymore probably probably like 2015 or 2016 and and it, it i think it you know the the presidential election that year i don't think was the catalyst for it necessarily um i i think it was much more it was much more my own personal experience, like growing up. I mean, I, I was, uh, turned 30 in 2016 and I had a few kids and I, you begin to think about the world in a different way when you grow up, right? You, I thought those same thoughts that, that you did and, and that like Paul Gottfried expresses that, okay. And, and Cause I, I'd be thinking about like Hans Hermann Hoppe's, um, you know, covenant communities and, and things like that. And I thought about that in the context of my own children, right? Say we joined this covenant community uh, in this Hoppian vision. What about the people born into it, right? They didn't voluntarily choose this this society. And of course, his answer would be, well, if they, they don't want to be there, they can leave. We'll physically remove them, right? Um, but that's not how societies you know, function, right? They, they're passed on from generation to generation. Uh, there are... Um, mores and, and standards and um, ways of life that are passed on from generation to generation. And and that's, that's what it's built out. It's not, you can't like just backfill this voluntarist uh, way of, way of life, uh, you know, spontaneously. Just, that just doesn't work at all. Right. You no human being is this uh, totally isolated individual. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what the system posits is you have people that are completely stripped from, from the past, right? There's no connection between them and the past. We're, we're forging this new voluntary community. And it's like, well, nobody, even, even if you consciously are trying to do that, you can't possibly do that. You're, you're the, you're the culmination of all the experiences of life. You had all the generations that preceded you and everything else. And even if you reject that, it still is what has formed what you are. And, and, and so I began thinking about things in, in those terms. It's like, well, Okay, you know guys like Russell Kirk or or Paul or or you know Paleo make a lot more sense in terms of how they approach the world. It, it um and and it it, le- it leaves room for wisdom with these great years because I, I was seeing this. All right, here are these rigid principles that are universal, and here are particulars and particular ways of life and situations, and seeing the conflict between those two and thinking. All right, this this doesn't work. The the idealism, the universal does not work at all. You need and it isn't it's not an argument for like situational ethics either. That's the thing people will say is like, "Oh, that's what you're you're positing is is situational ethics." No, it's it's that there are particular ways of life that are suitable for particular peoples and and environments. It is situational politics though. Right? Yeah, oh, of course, there is, yeah. There is a distinction between public action and private action. I mean, this is what this is why like understanding things like turn the other cheek. I mean, these, there's a difference yeah. between your, you know, the, the, the function of a political ruler uh, and the Christian duties of a private citizen. I mean, yeah. so this is, this is the point this makes has been made again and again over, over, you know, Christian history. It, the King doesn't have to turn the cheek of the nation. You know what I mean? He, he's allowed to defend yeah. their way of life. And so, uh, it's not situational ethics because in your capacity as a person, as a human being, as a creature, you know, without any uh, political authority, you do have, there is, there are absolute standards of, uh, of ethics. Um, but in political, there is, there is situational politics because we're choosing between alternatives. And, and that's what it means to have political authority. When we say that God's yeah. granted people 
political authority. That's what we're talking about. The ability to make decisions about what types of actions are legitimate and illegitimate, good and bad, um, you know, profitable and edifying and unprofitable. And so that's that's what it means to have political authority is to uh, it, it's a sanction on politics as a situationally, um, you know, varying dynamic in society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let, let's go to some of the comments quick. Uh, this one I think we should get to uh, from Ben uh, Legbend. Is this broadcast recorded or on another platform for future viewing? He's he's commenting from Twitter uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, yes, this this will be on on YouTube and also on audio uh, out there in the audio uh, Apple and Spotify and so forth. So if you want to find it or share it. Um, that's that's where you can find it. Uh, uh, Aaron uh, Cyber makes makes a great point. Uh, you know, yeah, he and I have talked about this before. Yeah, he, I come to realize that libertarianism only works for competent and able single adult men. Uh, that's that's it's really true. Uh, and he follows up uh, as you're articulating the classic thought experiment for libertarianism is Robinson Crusoe on a desert island with amnesia. Right, it has nothing to do with the givenness of reality. Mm-hmm. Right, that that's that's it. It's it's. It's something where you you want to assert this like tabula rasa on mm-hmm. on all of society, and that's not that's not possible. Um, or if it is, it's it's like Cambodia and Pol Pot, right? Yeah. Only only libertarian, uh, right? You're not you're not going to be able to do that, man. Like, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, this is this is a good question. Uh, you want to hit this one, CJ? Uh, Dylan says, if everyone has the obligation to not murder you, would that then be a natural right to life? Yeah, but so the the thing is, the the point of politics is to turn these abstractions into, you know, into laws that can govern society. Um, Because in reality, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the function of of politics and lawmaking is is to take these abstractions um, and to do that. And so there you have to set up rules um to 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 determine you know when the taking of life is appropriate and when it's inappropriate because the the rule about you know having the right to life and, and not murdering or whatever you we all we all agree that there are certain definitions on that like self-defense what it, you know what constitutes self-defense you know proportionality um you know when when can the government respond to certain actions with mm-hmm. uh the death penalty or or can it like these are all things it has to apply or, or war things. Yeah, yeah. The, it has to apply abstractions into concrete ways, and they're going to look different in in different types of societies, you know. So, so that's that's the point of politics is to make them concrete, you know. So, yeah. so there are there are things that are um, you know consistent with our with our humanness, but they all have to be applied to particular societies, and that's and that's kind of the point. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. There's yeah, yeah. That 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 that's exactly right. I mean, I don't know if you saw on Twitter the. Uh, the Reddit uh, trolley problem meme where mm-hmm. it was like there's 2,331 uh, uh, death row inmates right now. They're all lined up on the track. And on the other track is somebody, you know, you love the most, your, your wife, right? Do you pull the switch or not? And it's like, is that even a, like, why is it even a question? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but that, but that, I mean, that's, that's obviously, I mean, it's, absurd and silly uh but that that is the question there with with regard to the state and power and and wielding uh wielding power making law is you you make these kinds of decisions that's that's part of um part of how how god has set up the world right it's there are there are natural hierarchies in society. I mean, I, I've even thought about it too, just in general. Like if you think about state of nature type stuff, right? You think like a Mad Max situation or whatever. Um, the What will happen is there will be the biggest, baddest guy and all of his thugs. They will form some kind of war band and eventually their, their, their will and power that they are able to wield becomes legitimized in some type of political structure, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that is naturally what happens. And, and he might, the guy might be good or he might be bad, but, and if he's good, there'll be order and, and continuity and and so forth. And like, that's, that's where societies arise out of, 
right? And they're and some of it's a question of scale. Like you have tribal societies all the way up to nations and empires, uh, but that's that's how it works, right? That, like power and the wielding of power is is a constant in in human society, and 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 so a lot of libertarianism is just like rejecting that. Like, oh, somehow we can we could take the we could take the beach ball and just keep pushing it under the water and it'll stay there. Right. We'll just not have government and that'll be good. But even then, like you read, you read Hoppe's uh, man, uh, not man, economy and state uh, democracy, the God that failed and his, his theories about covenant communities and so forth. Like all you're doing is constructing a government. <laughs> it's well, just the organizing principle is, is voluntarism. One of the things I have, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but one of the things about libertarianism that people actually misunderstand is that it's better conceived of not in terms of like aggression, but in terms of like legitimate property claims, you know? Yeah. And you, when you realize that you're born into a system with pre existing claims of, of property, um, that, then, then there's no, then there's no like, there's no aggression, anyways. Like, there, you know, the people already have their properly dele delineated rights um, that are that are pre-exist you, and so like you, you come into a situation, um, you can't say to your father, like, you have no right to tell me to go to the bed or get dressed or or you know <laughs> how to eat. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense because you're there as a guest, and his he is the owner, the sovereign of that household. You know yeah. what I mean? So you, you come into that situation when you grow up, you're entering into pre-existing dynamics of society. So at all times, everywhere you go, unless there's chaos, unless you live in anarchy, um, you you already are, you know, existing with, with the, within the structure of authority. And that's that's what yeah. society is. You know, you can't yeah. ever say there's no point in time when you can you, you can say I'm above or I'm, I transcend the order. You know, you're born yeah. into something. Um, and so, you know, you're born first into your your house and your father represents you. Like if it was just your nuclear family uh, in, in some virgin territory somewhere in like medieval Europe. Right. And it's just you and your family. If if your father decides that he wants to join together with some other family for something, you don't have a choice. Your father, he yeah. represents you. He speaks for you. There's no there's no um, you can't consent to that. Right. And yeah. so when you grow up and take his place, there's already a society there that's already prearranged and pre-structured that you have to adhere to because it's been determined for you in the same way that your life was determined for you when you grew up in his household. You know, that's how yeah. society works. It's like a greater and that's how it works from from household you know, to family to kin to tribe to nation. And that's that's how nations are formed. And so there's always this complex network of rights and obligations and duty of constraints of freedoms mm -hmm. and so the freedoms that we've been given are the product of history you've been you've been given those freedoms over time um by political dynamics that basically have unfolded over a thousand years yeah yeah that that is that's more or less you know what i came to realize in my late 20s early 30s is i didn't i didn't choose to be born in the family i was born in that was mm -hmm. that was imposed upon me by god I, I didn't choose to be born in America in the you know late 20th century, right? That that I, oh, there's so many so much of life is stuff you never chose, and you just deal with it, mm -hmm. right? And and so so much of of libertarian and voluntarist uh, thought is the idea that we can we can s overcome those things and and super that we have we have the legal right to overcome them. That's the that's yes. the thing. Yeah, that the child can say to his father, the four-year-old, like, you're not the boss of me and right. have the right to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's absurd. Uh, right. And, and and so, I mean, certainly, like, you, you grow up in a situation like ours, especially when you think uh, young children now, uh, the, the world that they're growing up in is, is something, you know, monstrously totalitarian and becoming more obvious by the day. Like, today, they arrested the this journalist from The Blaze for investigating uh, – the the epiphany uh protest on of 2021 and uh and it's like this is this is nuts right all these people complaining about navaldi dying in prison and they're arresting journalists in america and it's this horrible totalitarian system that that we have in america that they're being born into like they didn't choose that nobody nobody chose it 
uh, and mm-hmm. you have to you have to deal with the system that you are in. Like you can mm-hmm. you can work to change it and all these other things, but it's not. It is. It's. It's not something where you could just spontaneously develop your own society uh, apart from it, right? It, it, I think so much of America, though, too, is because we have this ethos, especially um, in in the Midwest and, and particularly in the West. Uh, you you do have people descended from those who got in covered wagons and went and settled the wilderness, right? It was just them and their family, or maybe a couple other families, and. And it, it's like where um, you, they, they, they have this ethos where we built our own society, actually, and mm-hmm. we are independent and we have all these rights. And, and so it's, it's distilled from that. And so it's under, it's, in one sense, it's understandable that people think that way because that's, that's what America actually was 100, 150 years ago. Um, but it, it certainly isn't that anymore right mm-hmm. it's not 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 even close to that and we don't have the rights that we thought that we did uh they they, they don't exist we've lost we we've lost the the nation that we that we once had and those things aren't they don't just come back because we say so right mm-hmm. that's part of it too is is like the the even even like the the ron paulian very you know, constitutional purism um people wanting that and that's of course that's great I, I don't, I'm glad people want that. Uh, they aren't just, you can't just snap your fingers and it's back to, um, back to the constitutional order we had, right? That, that, that's, that's not happening. That instead there's a, a political struggle. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's, that is what you're, you're confronted with. And I think, I think that's a lot of what happened to me in 2015 and 2016. You, you saw it. I mean, I saw, I was, you know, very involved in in GOP politics with like Ron, the Ron Paul campaign in like 2012, and you see how like evil the the GOP was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it uh, oh they're they're playing ads in the live stream. I didn't realize that. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I I turned it on. I didn't realize they would play it during the live stream. Sorry, sorry about that, guys. Um, we won't do. We're we're still experimenting with these things. <laughs> I see the comment. Um, but I, I saw in, in that campaign in, especially in 2012, the things that they did to Ron Paul. And I saw them trying to do the same things to Donald Trump in 2016. And, and you realize, like, like you said earlier that the GOP is this vehicle for, for destroying um, any opposition to the destruction of our country and the things that we inherited. And um it, it made me recognize, even though I didn't have the vocabulary for it, friend, enemy, uh, distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I began to become aware about politics in those terms for the first time. And it's like, well, how can I, how can I be this like purist, principled libertarian with the non-aggression principle and all of these things when we we have enemies that need to be fought. Yeah, that's and, that's another thing about like people say that libertarianism um, only works in certain situations. Well, what they're trying to say is that it's only after the enemy has been defeated or only after the structures are in place to deal with an enemy can you have the type of freedom that we had been afforded. See, that the reason that we were so free is because underlying it all on the foundation was the fact that we were dealing with enemies. There was like you couldn't have conceived of a situation in early America where they would have allowed for homosexual marriage. No, these things were just hegemonically um, beyond the, even the capacity for anybody in society to, to accept that. And so therefore we could be free because our choices would not have included those choices, you know, but once we lose the moral fabric and once things are subverted at the institutional level, we can no longer be libertarian anymore because we have to deal with enemies. Um, You know, once the enemies are dealt with, we can have more freedom. So freedom is something that comes about only like, I think I said this like five episodes ago that Liberty is downstream from defeating your enemies. Like we can have yeah. our rights back after the enemies are defeated. That's the way politics work. Yeah. Work. That's the only way it works. And, and I think it took seeing that we have actual real enemies in, in various capacities uh, to recognize that. And, and, and I, I remember the, yeah, yeah, 2016, 2017, that that time period where I, I saw like in Trump, 
I wasn't, you know, here I am coming from this very purist libertarian world. And like, here is a guy who is very impure, uh, you know, principally. Uh, and I, I thought, all right, Hillary Clinton wins and the, the regime is able to do everything that they want. That is bad for me. And here's an actual opposition, um, however ineffectual he might be, and he ended up largely being. Uh, I I want that instead. So I'm not I'm not hoping that there's going to be a guy that would come in and end the Federal Reserve and all of these kind of um, the, these things these things that I wanted that weren't very realistic, right? Uh, I didn't. I, I had to set those things aside because like there's real enemies confronting us that want to destroy me and my family and everything I love. And so I'm just, I'm going to fight <laughs> I'm, or I'm going to vote for the guy that will fight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is what I, I came to realize. And, and, and yeah, that it, once, once all that's out of the way, then we could talk about, you know, monetary policy. And- <laughs> well, it's funny because <laughs> this is like, this is like the contribution of James Burnham and like um, the, and even like uh, Calhoun, right? John C. Calhoun, that only, like when you're libertarian, you think that like all we have to do is change the hearts and minds of those, um, you know, that are in our communities. If we can change hearts and minds, then we can change the political trajectory of the United States. It's like, no, uh, this is the lesson. This is the realistic lesson yeah. of uh, Machiavellian politics. And you're not allowed to say Machiavellian politics in Christian circles. But Uh-oh. the reality okay. is, is that ideology cannot confront power. Only power can yeah. confront power. Only when you have a yeah. power block. Only when you have people um, capable and willing and in a position to actually confront other power blocks can you have freedom. Freedom is downstream yeah. from confronting your enemies. This is the lesson of Machiavellian po- politics. You're not going to convince your entire community to be a libertarian and therefore uh, we'll, we'll get our rights back. It's like, no, you have to actually wield power against those who are seeking your destruction. Um, and that's that's the hard lesson for libertarians. Is And, and this is the point. When you have power, you're not wielding it against individuals. I mean, the whole point of power, like we can enforce laws against people doing bad things, sure, but that's not the fundamental purpose of of political power. The fundamental purpose of political power is to absorb um, the theater of of politics. It's to it's to point a spotlight on it and say this is where polit- you know political factions are going to confront each other. That's the point of politics. It's to wield power against other blocks of power, against institutions, um, against uh, would be um, totalitarians, against would be tyrants. That's the point of power. It's to confront mm-hmm. other uh, institutional enemies, not to um, you know round like you know they have the the meme of of the uh, under his under his watchful eye. You know like. like <laughs> That's fun. It's fun to play with that. But that's actually not like the point. We're not trying to control yeah. individuals um, because individuals will basically just change their behavior based on, you know, how the el- elites are are running things. You know, um, yeah. the, the, the opinions of the masses are basically downstream from power. It, you know, that's yeah. that's where masses get there. So in a Christian society, in a colonial America, everyday Americans basically look to their pastors, their political mm-hmm. leaders, philosophers, you know, theologians. Uh, even even like the heads of um of like corporations and, and business centers that's where the masses get their ideas from so you, the point is not to wage war on the masses the point is yeah. to wage war on at the institutional level and to confront power with power yeah i think to support a lot of what you're saying i i wrote about this a while back uh for gab news that you look at things like uh you know gay marriage and obergefell and 30 years ago, I mean, so your, your state, for instance, in what was it? 2008 passed, yeah. uh, what was it, proposition eight? eight. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, California, right. Banned gay marriage in mm-hmm. 2008, seven years before Obergefell. So there was a, a majority in the state of California. Said, still nope, is a majority, that. by the way. The, yeah. Actual Californians. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> And that's right. Um, And, and like what, what changed since then? And you look at, like you look at polling now and support for across every age cohort, except for the zoomer uh, it's, it's gone, you know, it's gone up actually Uh, opposition to, to, to gay marriage has gone up by like 2% (laughs) among the zoomers. Uh, But um, every other one, there's this after Obergefell, there's this radical shift. 
Yeah. Because power provides its own incentives for ideology, right? People, you, you know, the masses are adaptable and they will respond to the incentives that those with power give them. That's, that's reality. This is, um, and this is a good point right here. I mean, this is, it, people, yeah, res- yeah. people respond and react to the narratives that they're given. You know, yeah, judges said it's okay for, for gay marriage. So now Alistair Begg is saying, go to the gay weddings. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, yeah. um, and, and I mean, you even see this, I, there was a guy, uh, who was, uh, one of the guys at master's seminary that was upset about the Alabama Supreme court ruling regarding IVF and because they quoted the Bible in the, that's so inappropriate and improper. They shouldn't be doing that. It's like, what? Are you crazy? But like the reason why is because, right? Why do people think like, why did even Christians, Christian leaders, seminary presidents think this way? Uh, because they're responding to incentives, right? That That's that's how human beings operate. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like consciously most of the time, right? People are not consciously thinking, oh, well, that's the law now. I better get with the program, uh, you know, and, and like turn coding on these things. It's you see everybody else doing it because they're everyone else is responding to the same incentives and you you naturally just adapt to it unless you are you know, antisocial like like we are. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, it, it is that 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 is how things work. So it's not like you're wielding power against the masses or, or and, and the flip side of that is like the idea that, oh, you just need to have the free marketplace of ideas and you just persuade people. Right. That's not people. People don't get persuaded by ideas, right? Ideology doesn't win the day. Power does. Yeah, and that's that's the reality. People need to recognize. Yeah, feelings um, don't care about your your facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that. That's it. One hundred percent. And yeah, and and I, I think it, when I was in the libertarian world, I, that that's what I thought is well, if I just persuade enough people. You know, fifty percent plus one of the country to follow the non-aggression principle. Then we'll then then we'll have our free society. And it's like, well, no, that's you have to defeat the enemy. Yeah, that's not the way it works, man. Like it's not it's not going to one. You're not going to persuade them because yeah. all the incentives are aligned for them not to agree with you. And so, two, so those are so yeah. So like the first thing we talked about was like um, the historicist perspective or where our rights come from. I call that like the Burkean case against. Uh, yeah libertarianism then we talked about like um the burnham case against it which is Mm -hmm. basically that only power can confront power but there's also an element to our time that's important that um people need to realize too that's like what i would consider the like the the gramsci case like antonio gramsci right the italian i don't i don't know if i'm saying that right i say gramsci yeah yeah. i think i think says Grotfi says Gramsci, but he he speaks Italian, so he can do that. Yeah, I'll let him. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let him do yeah. that. <laughs> it's allowed. Yeah, but so <laughs> what? What they realized? What the? What the? I mean, he was kind of a forerunner of um like a critical theory and like a like yeah. like the new Marxism, um, which is not really classical Marxism. But what they realized is all you had to do was radicalize, capture the institutions, the private mm-hmm. institutions, not the state, right? So the so like traditional mm-hmm. communism. Like Leninism, you capture the state. Like in Russia, you capture, you mm-hmm. kill the Tsar, take over. That's the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, the, you know, a lot of the uh, the more Western theorists, you know, especially in like the French tradition, they realized that you couldn't, that wouldn't really work in the West because there was such a strong um, private inst- civil civil society was too strong um, for that. You would you would lose your legitimacy in in state power if you just took over the the uh, the halls of of, uh, of the government alone. You had to capture mm-hmm. the cultural aspect of things. So this is another th- where a big weakness of libertarianism because they emphasize the free market uh, and like the, the freedom of of the culture to you know organically develop on its own or whatever. So what cultural revolutionaries had to do in the West was it had to subvert and like basically flip over you know the Christianness. Of American mm-hmm. culture, even though we're not allowed to say that we have a Christian culture, we actually did have a Christian culture, and what yes, they had to did. do is subvert it, radicalize it, uh, transit, so to speak, so that the culture itself would basically eat uh, its own cultural inheritance. And there's no libertarian strategy to fight that at all. No, because it's all private. They're not yeah. equipped to deal with Gramsci's strategy. Yeah, even I, I remember you know libertarians making this argument in 
in those days, 2015 or 2016, when when Twitter was really starting to roll out and, and, and Facebook and all the big tech companies, uh, censorship and banning people and, and, and things like that. And I remember they would just say, well, it's a private company. Yep. They exactly. can do what they want. It's a private company. It's like it's brilliant. It's no. a brilliant strategy. You could turn yeah. our classical liberal um, instincts on their head in doing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's exactly what they did with everything. And so it's mm-hmm. not just the tech companies and things like that. Um, it's also every cultural institution yeah, in banking. the country, including including churches, uh, universities, sure. everything. That that were and, and you you pervert um, the principles that they hold uh, from the inside. So that, and and in such a way that those principles are wielded to protect you and the subversion that you're doing from ever being challenged, right? That's, that's the brilliance of the, the Gramsci scheme. And like, yeah. you know, Alinsky is just downstream from, from Gramsci. Yeah, and, for sure. But and, people, and so that's people really, yeah, people need to get that because this is, this is so brilliant because like all, all the things that were used to save us from like the managerial revolution, like the state shouldn't get involved in this, this, you know, we should have mm-hmm. the constitution says that the state should, the federal government should stay out of this area. All these things are so core to our the earlier fights against communism that we weren't ready for the subversion of the private society because now yeah. it's like okay well your bank actually says that it's illegal to criticize homosexuals what does yeah. the constitution say well, about that yeah like, nothing you know so this is where this is another element where um it's just like the crisis of of culture requires us to use political means um, because otherwise mm-hmm. our entire cultural memory um, and continuity will be, um, you know, uh, homicided, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's, just, that's just what's going to happen. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. If we're, if we're libertarians. No, 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 there isn't. And, and yeah, you, you see, you see this everywhere. Uh, yeah. Like the example of debanking, right. There's no, yeah, there, there's no law that says they can't you know, refuse to do business with you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's their private company. They can do whatever they want. And, and you see that you you see how um in in twenty you know fifteen or sixteen uh, you had these uh, the response to Obergefell by all these different states that had passed you know uh, religious freedom restoration acts to protect people like like um, the masterpiece cake shop guy uh, Jack Phillips and uh, what happened when what, like the state of Indiana is a prime example. Which was governor, you know, the uh, under Governor Mike Pence, uh, wonderful, awesome Christian governor, right? Uh, and all of these giant corporations went to Indiana and said, "Unless you get rid of this bill or refuse to apply it or or whatever, we're going to pull all of our business out of there." Mm-hmm. And dutifully, he does what he's told, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and 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 that that's how they wield like private society when in, in the way that they can't with government, right? That's how you're able to have, despite like this heritage of the first amendment, have like mass censorship all over the internet. Cause it's like, Oh, it's private. It's totally private. We can, it's a private company. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, and so multiply that across everything, every part of society that's private and there, there are no defenses for it whatsoever. And, and that's the thing that pulled me out of libertarianism too. Like seeing that, right. Yeah. Seeing that, Oh yeah, I don't have an answer for that question. And the answer well, it scares funny. you right in the face. It's, it's wielding funny. power against that. Yeah, exactly. Yesterday, two days ago, Michael O'Fallon. Did you see this? I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if I have it here. But he he was like, you know, uh, it's terrible that uh, oh, it was it was the CEO of um of is it Starbucks or what's the, what's the other what's the big tech company that the CEO is like really bad. Um, <laughs> have to like, be more specific. Salesforce. Yeah, Salesforce. Salesforce. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was buying a bunch of private land in, in Hawaii, right? And oh, Michael O'Fallon's like, "Oh, you know, this is this is bad because all these leftists." And I was like, "So, is there a libertarian, uh, or is there a uh, political Classical solution liberal. we can use here, yeah. or do we just have? Is this just the free market at work?" And he blocked me. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like, but 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 we we should be dealing with these questions because there is yes. no free market solution here. No, there isn't. There isn't. And it's the same thing like the, the you know, Chinese buying land all over America. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a libertarian answer to that? Well, it's like, well, they're using money and it's a free exchange between private parties. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't really care. Um, uh, let's look. There's some, some comments here. Uh, uh, Let's look at what the other Paul has to say. What 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 time is it there, Paul? I, we we ask him this every week. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like eleven in the morning. Some, it's 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 uh, midnight. Yeah. What day is it? Still, you know, February 29th There is it February thirtieth? Uh, do they have leap year over there? Uh, your your discussion here of different structures all being subverted by evil further proved to me that pontificating about the best form of government is largely a waste of time and yes. likewise vindicates biblical teaching on government, uh, not whether to make a republic, monarchy, anarcho-syndicalist utopia. Uh, scripture just has to, <laughs> just says to have just and strong leaders. And yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. That's um, particularism. Like, um, yes. Like, that's, like, so, you know, like people, because, because we, because, uh, you know, Stephen writes about the Christian prince, right? Yeah. Um, and so like, and ah, I'm doing, no! monarchy you want a monarchy it's like well it's like no what what we're saying is that you have to first understand you know the the function of 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 power and then you have to apply that within whatever whatever is relevant to your situation right so what we what it looks like for us here in a federal you know historically federal system with um you know state powers and more localized uh, you know, power structures is different than it would look like in England, you know, like in England, yeah. it'd be really cool if, um, you know, Prince William, like, you know, found his inner, <laughs> inner King Arthur, you know, and like basically <laughs> declared that parliament is actually out of session now. And that all pa- he, he, he's going to embody um, the English past. Like that'd be pretty basic. Yeah. We can't have that here though. You know, like, no, you know, it, would, it would work for English history, but it wouldn't work here. So what we could have in America is a, a right wing FDR is what we would have. Mm-hmm. Right. That's you, you would have to frame it in those ways um, where you have this like right wing president for life who uh, wields power basically unilaterally threatens the Supreme Court uh, to basically do whatever, you know, pass whatever he wants like that. That would be how it how it's done. And and, and how do you get to, to that point? Uh you would have to have a major, major crisis uh, mm-hmm. where where a figure like that would be able to to rise to the occasion. Um, but th- that's exactly it. It's it's the recognition that you know whatever phrase you want to use. The you know, I mean, it's it's much more potent with saying the Christian prince, uh, but it's 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 a, a Christian ruler, mm-hmm. a Christian ruler, a, a godly man who's wise. And that's, I mean, when you want to talk about like the, what the Bible has to say about politics, like the book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs is a manual for a Christian king. Like, literally, it is, it is written by Solomon for his son to learn how to rule. That's the yeah. point of the book. And that's what it has to say about government is here's here's the kind of man that should be shaped by wisdom and the kind of wisdom he has to wield in order to, to rule well. Um, that that's what we need. And, and it, and you can't do it. Um, you know, uh, Jim Jordan, you know, uh, Ron, Ron Dodson, uh, last week, you know, brought him up and, and a lot of the, the good contributions he's made. One of the things that, that stuck with me from him that, that I think is really profound is you, you see in the Bible, uh, the the stages of maturity that take place, where when when Israel's under the law and it's it's under the priesthood in its earlier stages, right? Everything is black and white, right? The law is black and white. You do this, you don't do that, right? Very black and white. But you come to the time of the kings, and now you're playing in the gray, and you have to. You have two harlots come to you. One has a live baby, the other has a dead baby. What do you do? There's nothing in the law about that you have to wield wisdom you have to exercise wisdom and and you have to wield power with Mm -hmm. wisdom which is what solomon did and that that's what the entire book of proverbs is about so when as it pertains to to government right you have to be able to wield wisdom in choosing the best of of 10 different scenarios none of them are going to be ideal Mm -hmm. right that's that's wisdom And, and and like this is stuff that all of us have to do in our daily lives Right. We have to, we have to make decisions about 
you know, the house we're going to buy or the job we're going to take or, or what we're going to, you know, do for our kids, you know, what school they're going to go to, all sorts of different things all day long. And it's never black and white. You have to make what's gray and turn it black. Like that's what the knowledge of good and evil actually is, is being able to discern between good and evil when it's not clear, when it's not obvious, when it's gray. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to be able to make up the black and white when it's gray. And that is what government requires. And so like the libertarian view of things is very, in, in this sense of the Bible, very priestly, right? It's very, this is black, this is white. And that there, there's, there's good things to that. I'm not just like just dumping on it the whole time. But from the point of principles, you have to be able to then take the, the ideal and apply it to real life. Yeah, and it's not always so simple. Let me let me use that because this this was from a couple of minutes ago, but um, I think this is a really good way to think about it. Um, everything for them, yeah, can be boiled You're, down. You should read it for the people that are listening. Oh yeah, it. so it says, yeah, does yeah. what you're describing now boil down to saying that the error of libertarianism is that it only has the category of property rights and nothing else? Yeah, so it, it yeah. only it can only think in terms of private relations, of private property relations and dynamics there's no there's nothing greater than the individual property relations like that's yeah. that's the core of it there's there's a great um reformed i think he's reformed yeah reformed theologian like like a uh he was a um he was a uh, not a jurist but like a, just a legal theorist not a political theorist but a legal theorist named friedrich Stahl, um and he was a german and he talked about the difference between like um property uh, private property law and then public law. So like the ability for private property owners to relate to each other, what are the rules of conduct for that type of thing? But then he said, that's different than the the king who rules about on the greater good of the realm. You know, what is good mm-hmm. for the realm? But both you need both of these functions in a society is, is what's good for the realm and then what's what's good or advantageous for private property dynamics. And libertarianism doesn't cannot cannot conceive of anything about what's what's good for the realm. It doesn't think in those terms. It only thinks about property, uh, property ownership relations with the with with property owners. And so I think that's a really good way of, of thinking about it is you have to um you have to realize that there, these two have to interplay. You need private, you know, you need private property society, but you also need what's good for the realm. Because if you only have private property society, you get Starbucks trying to gayify everything, right? You have to have this dynamic, this feedback mechanism. If you get too much, uh, you know, like realm thinking, you you get like communism or something. So you do have to have both of these dynamics in it. Um, but it's it's particular to context. It depends on specifics of threats. It depends on um, you know the health of the of the culture. It depends on um, you know the the ability for for the families to be you know right now families are very weak. You know we live in a very weak, destitute, effeminate time, and so you you are going to lose some of those freedoms. That's just the natural natural way of things. Let's uh, this this question from Paul. Paul's had some good questions from down under. Um, you know would. Uh, would you gents agree that a large enough, I'm not going to do a uh, Australian accent. <laughs> Would you agree that a large enough portion of the right shakes off the mind virus of reform, not revolution that we will begin to make real ground in political takeover? <laughs> right. What do you think about that, CJ? Uh, that's a good one. So is he saying that, um, Oh, that once a large enough portion shakes off the mind, virus, reform, not yeah, revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is a difficult one because like historically I definitely would have been a reform, not revolution person. Yeah. I think that was the, because we had Western civilization was something worth preserving. Um, and I think that was Burke's entire case against the French revolution was that revolution is actually, you're not going to get what you want out of it. Nowadays, I don't know what's left to preserve, uh, but revolution can still be dangerous. You know, so I think you need some sort of like um, revival of the decentralized uh, heritage of America, because that's both revolutionary in terms of countering the managerial yeah, elite. Yeah, yeah it's it revol- but it's also um, it's also historically rooted. 
you know? So yeah. I think that's the way out for us. No, they don't have that in Australia. So I don't know what to tell you. Good luck, I guess. Yeah. But I, <laughs> like, well, that's no, they, they, they do have a, a very, I mean, if we want to talk about Australia and things that, you know, similarities in the Anglosphere, like Canada and America and Australia, I mean, these are frontier societies, much like America. And that yeah. you have, you do have this very libertarian impulse among like actual Australians and actual Canadians. Like you see like the trucker protests in Canada, for instance. Um, so that those things exist, like that culture is there it, to a certain degree. Uh, but in terms of like the political structure of decentralization and so forth, and maybe not as much uh, as far as what you're getting at. But I think in, in general though, like the West and, and all of these, like the revolutions already happened, right? Uh, that That's what we have to understand. Like the revolution already took place. Right. We're not, I mean, so many people think like, oh, it's happening or it's going to happen or the left is going to take over and the, the World Economic Forum is going to put us in pods and make us eat bugs. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's already happened. The it's thing that happened. you think you have has been dead for 50 years. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's, you like, are, that, it's like the Gar yeah. Garrett, the Garrett Garrett uh, essay, you know, the, the, the revolutions behind you, you know? Yeah. It's like you're looking in the wrong direction. It it, it came by and and basically in World War One, it, it basically that you know the revolution came and went and it and it like that was the what the managerial revolution was is it did away with old America and reestablished itself uh, and basically the the 20th century was built on top of the ruins of of like Western heritage. Yeah, yeah, and and like once you get that, once yeah. you start to understand that, then you could proceed forward. Mm -hmm. and, and and so anything that you do proceeding forward is going to be counter-revolutionary, even, even if it's not like capital T revolutionary where you're, you know, totally destroying an upending society. You are, you are upending what has been manufactured for us post-revolution. Yeah. Right? That, that's what it means. So in, in that sense, it is, right? You're returning to the root. You're being radical. Mm -hmm. Um, in the, in the true sense of the term. And yeah, I think if, if people, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully this makes sense, right? If people begin to adopt that kind of mindset that we're, we're decades past the revolution yeah, and whatever, whatever we're going to do, whatever we're going to produce, whatever, whatever good that we do in our lifetimes is by necessity going to be counter revolutionary. It's not, you're, you're, there's no reforming it. Right, there's no reforming this monstrosity and turning it back into the constitutional republic that's been dead for a long time now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, so I, I think I think it, in those terms, and people have like on the right have to begin to adopt that. Some of that is like the the whole Christian nationalist thing is is sort of a movement in that direction, and other other more radical rightism stuff on online is, is that sort of thing. But that that's the stuff that scares the normicon. Because yeah. they're living in this world where the revolution hasn't happened yet. Oh, mm -hmm. it's maybe around the corner. Yeah. Oh, maybe Biden's going to do something really bad. And yeah. or like, it's like Barack Obama, you know, like started our decline or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, this this is a good I think. Yeah, we've got maybe a few more minutes. I, have, I know I have to get going. You probably do, too, CJ. Um, I have more time last, than you today. So uh, yeah, that's that's how the tables have turned. Uh, so yeah, regarding theonomists from the eighties to today, uh, from Aaron again, uh, it seems to me that they frequently read Torah through a libertarian lens and assumed the libertarian outcome they propose. Yeah, I think. Uh, and he, let me read his follow up too. Um, there we go. Uh, it doesn't really factor. In the circumstances of when and where the Torah was given includes the principles of government that it shouldn't, not that the law of God doesn't inform the government. Yeah. And so this, I mean, this maybe will get me in trouble with uh, Theonomus, um, who I have a lot of respect for, you know, love, love all my Theonomist homies. But you, you see this where, yeah, in the 80s, they, the, all these guys, Rush Dooney, Bonson, and all of them, they were influenced by, by Rothbard and, and uh, by Mises and Hayek and, the, the emerging libertarian movement in the seventies and eighties. Like there, there was an influence on their thinking, of course. Um, and so they read it in, in that paradigm, but you see that there's, there are like left liberal theonomists now too. And that this is, this is kind of the stuff that you talk about CJ, where, where they take, they could take the, the Bible and shape it in this like biblicist sense, 
to make it yeah. say the outcome that they want. So, yeah. oh, here we have theonomy that says we shouldn't have a death penalty somehow, right? <laughs> like, like there are guys that do that. Uh, and, and of course, it's nonsense and silly. And at least the theonomists of the 80s, like there was, there was some compatibility between the two. It made some sense because what the libertarians were looking at, they were looking at some semblance of reality in terms of property rights and so forth. And the law of God is rooted in reality. But as Aaron says, it's rooted in a particular people and place and time and history. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, yes, can we glean from the principles that God has established? Absolutely. Right. So when people talk about like general equity theonomy from the Westminster confession, um, right. That is, that is, um, that well, makes sense because you're applying it to a different particular people and place and you, and exercising wisdom. Into yeah, that. I mean those those mosaic laws were instantiations of eternal things that um, are still relevant today. I mean, they're Absolutely. that's what they were. They they were the application within a specific context of things that are always relevant to us, and so we should look to them for guidance. Um, you know, absolutely. I think I want to end on um, the fact that I still I love Rothbard. In fact, I yeah. um, I I. Uh, I went through like a little phase where I was just like not interested in anything, but then you go back and you read like Rothbard <laughs> stuff from the nineties. Like he had this essay mm -hmm. called the Franciscan way, basically like expositing the contributions of Sam Francis. And you're like, dude, <laughs> Rothbard is so sharp. And you know, yeah. like, so there's a reason why in the nineties, like the paleo conservatives and paleo libertarians got together because they had a yeah. dual enemy um, yeah. or, you know, they had a singular enemy and they, so they worked together. Uh, but yeah. so like, I still love like late, late, late stage Murray Rothbard is, is fantastic. Well, yeah, I think too, I, I remember listening to the history lectures that Rothbard gave, I think at like New York university that, that Hoppe is the one that recorded them mm -hmm. and they're phenomenal. Like yeah. his analysis of history, right. Even though I've maybe nitpicked some things and maybe emphasizes uh, the material a little bit too much and economics a little bit too much um, as a motivator, but he like he got into the nitty gritty and explained the entire period of American history from 1865 to world war two. Yeah. And he completely just calls out like the managerial elite and like the yeah. profound critiques of the American, you know, uh, you know, imperial system are found in libertarian literature. Uh, yeah. Especially with Mises, you know, the Mises Institute circles. Yeah. He, don't he, don't he, read Cato. That'll just make you stupid. But yeah. No, like that kind of libertarian. Oh, 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 man. No. Yeah. You... <laughs> no. Like these is the only, only part of libertarianism that like is worth anything. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Paul Gottfried is a, uh, is a uh, fellow there too. So. Yeah. 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 There's a reason why it's worth something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, uh, I think about it those ways. Like I, I still look fondly at it. And, and the same thing, like we brought up Theonos, like I, I still, there, there's still a lot of, of, um, of Rush Dooney's and Bonson's critiques that are unbelievably good. And yeah. so I'm never going to, I'm never, I'm never going to stop, you know, love these. Oh, friend of the show, uh, Joshua Abitoy, right. He, he chimes in here. This is, this kind of answers, you know, the, the, the TLDR of the whole episode is I stopped being libertarian after I had kids. Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it, man. Like that's that's it, right? I had kids, yeah. and it's like, okay, I'm the I'm the king now. I'm wielding power, and yeah. I could I I I just have to. I can't it's like wait, wait, maybe not. Bill maybe Bill Gates shouldn't have the right to like put hormones in my kids' food. You know, like right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, just, just like, a suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what uh, what have you got uh, on the docket this week uh, that uh, that you want to finished up um, Heritage History Month? With a very yes. controversial post, not controversial. It wasn't controversial. It was a completely normal post on Robert E. Lee, um, but it, it got uh, got some good hits. And so I've been. I finished up that. I wrote my post. Why I'm not a libertarian. Um, so I've been pretty active. I got a couple more essays um, that I'm about to publish in the next couple of days. So I've been pretty active on that. Chronicles Magazine podcast is back. Uh, you can check that out as well. Um, today's episode, though, did get booted to Monday, so I've been pretty busy. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, yeah, I uh, I have you know a bunch more writing to do. I'm still working on uh, on another book, and uh, I I'll just you know drip that out there a little bit. There'll be more stuff coming from from the next book. Um, and I'm not even going to say. I don't think I've said yet exactly what it's about. So I, I'll leave that. 
a mystery for now. Uh, but also, CJ always forgets this to to plug contramundumpodcast.com yes. to support the show. Yeah, go there if you want to uh, support the show. We uh, we're we're planning to do a March. Uh, episode yeah, we're gonna for... do our first well first of all we're gonna do a maybe we'll do something live when we're together at the end of march you should yes not, like, we'll just for just for supporters something yeah really we'll be cool. we'll be meeting up in real life yeah. irl uh for the very first time uh and also i wanted to uh i i promised i would do this shout out my wife who has been uh baking sourdough bread all week long um as a as a protest <laughs> as a form of pro- she's doing trad wife stuff but not for you know, the public to, to consume just for me and my kids. Uh, and so supporters. yes, <laughs> yeah, maybe, oh. maybe, maybe <laughs> I'll send a loaf of sourdough to everybody. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that, if you've been aware of the online discourse regarding sourdough bread, uh, you'll, you'll get what I mean there. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. And we're, we're trying to roll out more things for, for all the people that, our loyal listeners that, that love Thousand. hanging out with us every, every week. Uh, we appreciate all of you. And yeah, if you, you like what you're hearing, want more of this content, more of these kinds of discussions, uh, subscribe and share it, uh, send it to all of your libertarian friends <laughs> and everyone else. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep on rolling with this. We're having a lot of fun. And yeah, at the end of the month is, is going to be a fun, very fun shindig uh, between CJ and me. And so uh, until next week, when we're back together again, all of you stay dangerous, peacefully, of course, stay dangerous, and we will see you next time.